to drive me crazy growing up, the church I grew up in, the preacher was supposed to be done at noon, and he wouldn't get his stroke cleared till about 10 minutes till. And so I thought I would never do that as a preacher, but I, I've seemed to have used a big chunk of my time already. So if I go a few minutes over, uh, please uh, excuse me. Was it better to ask forgiveness than permission, or something? So we'll see how this we'll see how this goes. I want to do the eight statements of Christ on the cross, and these go so well with with um, uh, our celebration of Resurrection Sunday. It goes so well with communion, and they help explain a lot of things. Now, there's some people who say there's seven statements, so if you see seven statements, I'm not arguing over seven and eight. I know why we have a difference in there, and it's no no big deal. What's important about the statements of Christ on the cross that's often overlooked is the fact that he's teaching us principles of relationship. He's teaching us principles of how to get along with other people. And it's so so easy, Whenever, when it, once you get a glimpse of it, you go, how did I miss that? Because I missed it for a long time. I'll tell you, I've been a pastor for over 40 years, and I didn't see this right away. And I gathered these things up, I'm looking at them, and I'm going... Oh yeah, that's about this, and that's about this, and that's about this. And the Holy Spirit said, here's a little more to it than you figured out already. So his eight statements on the cross. Now what did he say? They put him on the cross, and as you remember, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And I don't know why that's doing that. They don't know what they're doing. Luke 23 34, you have a passage there with the, where the, all of these are found, because they're not all found in the same book. But Luke 23, 34, and what's the relational principle that's taught there? The relational principle is about forgiveness of wrong suffered. You know, it's amazing how in any relationship, there's, there's no, nobody perfect. I, I do a lot of marriage counseling uh, over the course of time I do premarital counseling and I tell them you know just like it says in 1 Corinthians 13 love does not brag it does not boast it does not take into account a wrong suffered and sometimes there are things that get easily forgotten but in any relationship starting with a marriage and working out there needs to be a forgiveness of wrong suffered there also needs to be a recognition of it somewhere along the line but What were they doing? They were coming by for three hours before the sky went dark while he was on the cross. He went on the cross at 9 in the morning. And from 9 to 12, it was daylight. People like you and I, people that said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord a week earlier. Same people that yell, Crucify him. And they're coming in front of him and they're spitting on him and they're laughing at him and they're mocking him. If you're the Christ, come down off that cross. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, is that grace or what? That is forgiveness. And sometimes we get into relationships with with family, friends, spouse, churches, societies, and we somehow want to focus on all the wrongs and need to know that forgiveness doesn't need to rule us. Because if I can't forgive, then guess what happens? If I can't forgive, it becomes a root of bitterness. And Hebrews 12:15 says, See to it no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many 
be defiled. When we get mad and bitter at what happened to us, you know, you could get mad at your mom and dad if you wanted to. Anybody could. You know, I, I, I probably wasn't potty trained properly back a long time ago. So, you know, and there are all different things that, that we can get into. But a forgiveness. A forgiveness of wrong suffered. Bury it. You don't need to be a victim. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. You're in Him. You know where your eternity is going to be. These things are written to those who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you might know you have eternal life. So you know where it's going to be. So you're able to forgive. It doesn't have to run your life. And that's what he said. It wasn't running his life. He had a lot bigger thing, fish to fry, I guess, on uh, Thursday or Friday or whatever day you believe the crucifixion is. He had a lot bigger issues to take care of than whether these people were acting like little kids or not. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that takes us to the second principle. And he said to, your mo- said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Now, woman was not a derogatory comment at all. Sometimes people look at that and sometimes it's used in this culture as a derogatory comment. It wasn't at all. But what he did, he didn't say mom. He didn't mater. It's not, not what he said. He used gune, which I think is a very unflattering word for a woman in the Greek. But that's, that's what it is. And he said, woman, behold your son. Now, why would he say that to mom? Oftentimes this is not counted in the different sayings of him on the cross, but he certainly said it. He said it because the point is you have to pay attention to Messiah. He knew who he was. She knew the prophecies. Mary knew the prophecies recorded in Luke 1 and 2. She knew what they were going to be about. She knew that she was going to have a son who was going to rule over the nations. She knew what it should be. But we see along the way, once his ministry started, she and and other children went to try and stop him from doing ministry. They thought he'd lost his mind. Okay? So he's saying to her, You might think it's all over, Mom. But I am Messiah. I am here for what I was sent to do. So attention doesn't go to you or anybody else. Right now I'm on the cross. He knew he was. Wasn't anything arrogant about it at all. He's calling attention to Messiah. Attention to him. And even mom needed to submit to that. And then he said to his disciple, which was John... Behold your mother. John 19.27 He said unto his disciple, Behold your mother. And you know what he did there? Here is the oldest son of the family. Daddy's evidently dead. He's gone. Who is responsible for the family? What were his brothers like at that point in time? They're the ones that came with mom trying to get him to stop his ministry. Because they thought he had lost his mind. Now one of them, which we call a half-brother, James, later became head of the Jerusalem synagogue and the, the Jerusalem church. Because he got saved after his brother died on a cross, was resurrected. He got saved. And he became a great believer and died a martyr's death. Now that's what happened to one of those half-brothers. But at that point in time, he wanted somebody with some spiritual moxie, although... 
uh, John was still learning at that time, like the rest of them were. And he looked at John and he said, Behold your mother. He put John in charge of the care of his mom. Okay? Because it was going to get rough. He's God. He knows it. He knows things are going to get bad. He told his disciples the night before, In this world you have trouble, but take heed, I have overcome the world. He didn't get to tell his, in a sense, earthly brothers that. He didn't get to tell them that at all because he didn't see them. But mom showed up at the cross. The mother of James the Less showed up at the cross. Mary Magdalene showed up at the cross. John showed up at the cross. Some of his close family did. But he said, Behold your mother. Now this is the, the principle of providing for other people. He didn't negate his responsibility. Provision for others. You know, if, if you know your time is short, as you're approaching that, then you, you try to take care of your spouse. You try to take care and make provision as to what you're going to do. It's going to require a lot of wisdom and everything else, but he's, I, he, he was not self-centered. Because see what he's doing here? He's thinking about other people. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Okay, Mom, here, behold your son. You know what I'm doing? I'm fulfilling what I was sent to fulfill. And then, John, you take care of my mom. See, these didn't have to be loud. They didn't have to be boisterous. They didn't have to be a booming, echoing voice, which he could have done. That He didn't do that. But he took care of business. And then, one of the most amazing things, sometimes messes up people's theology really bad. Because, see, there was two guys on each side of him. Two guys. There were two guys. One of these guys, they were both criminals. They are both robbers. One of them was hurling abuse at Christ. And saying, if you're a Messiah, come down off that. If you're a Messiah... Come down off that cross and then we'll believe. He's hurling abuse at him. And the other one on the other side said, basically, shut up. Said, we deserve to be here. You see the admission of sinfulness that he had? The admission of sinfulness. Some people say, well, this guy didn't believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Wait a minute. Listen to his words. Listen carefully to his words. He said, he said uh, this man is an innocent man. Okay? And he looked at Jesus and he said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now what sense does that make to a man dying on a cross? What kingdom? This guy knew about it because Jesus came preaching the kingdom. This thief had heard about it before. And guess what? To come into a kingdom, he's got to die and be raised. So he understood those things. When he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord responded. He didn't tell him to do anything, did he? What could he have done on that cross? Absolutely nothing. He said, today. Now you think about these words. These will shock you. Each word. Today, if you're on this cross knowing you're looking at a couple of days on a cross before you asphyxiate and die, and you hear that word today, uh, that's important. (laughs) 
Today, you, he made it personal, didn't he? He made it personal. You, singular. Shall, he made it a promise. Be is the word for exist. Today, you shall be with me, relationship, where? In paradise. Wow. You talk about in a few short words there what he said. You think of a few short words. What he remember me when you come into your kingdom. There's no formula for getting saved. The Lord knows if you if you believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. This guy didn't utter the right words, according to some people, but he sure had the right heart, didn't he? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Now paradise was where the saints went prior to the day of Pentecost after the resurrection. And guess what's going to happen? Jesus is going to see him in a little bit. And this guy goes into paradise. And then he's going to empty paradise and take it on to heaven. He led captivity captive. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And look at the principle that this teaches. Grace saves. Not works. The grace of God is what saves. Works can't save. This is one of those things where I've seen many people say, well, you have to partake of the Lord's table in order to be saved. You have to partake of baptism in order to be saved. You have to partake of all these things in order to be saved. What did this guy have to partake of? Faith. (laughs) Faith. Now, what about the next statement, the fifth statement on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The scripture indicates he kept saying this. Now the sky went dark at noon. And from noon to 3 o'clock it was dark. And some people say it was just an eclipse that went over. That's the people that are trying to explain everything by scientific method. That's quite an eclipse that lasted three hours. Now it talks about a darkness. And as you study words in different languages, you find out there's a word for dark and a word for dark. There is a word for dark like the dark we have outside at night. And there's a word for dark like you find inside a cave where there is no light coming in whatsoever. And what we find here is a word for utter darkness. There's no light. Whenever he bore the sins of the world in his body, the lights went out. And you know an interesting thing too, because they track all this stuff to an eclipse. They track his... Is crucifixion to 32, 33 A.D. based on an eclipse being there in Palestine in that period of time. And they track it to that. I think that date's probably right. But it wasn't the eclipse that made the difference. The Lord put the lights out. Because eclipses don't last 10 minutes. Total eclipse doesn't last that long. And so what happened? It went out for three hours. Kind of like the long day of Joshua when he didn't let the sun set. So they could continue to go ahead and defeat their enemies. Why have you forsaken me? He cried out. Now this asks ask a really amazing question. Why have you forsaken me? You know the answer to that was really simple. Is you and I. You and I. Sacrifice for other people. That's the relational principle. See, forgive other people. Focus your attention on Jesus Christ. Provide for others. You're serving others, not seeking to be served yourself. Remember, we're only here by the grace of God. And that our part of our role is to sacrifice for other people. That's what we are called to do. And then he finally said, 
I thirst. The real simple verse. Ranks up there with Jesus wept is the smallest verse in the Bible. I thirst. See, after he had done his work, the lights came back on. And he said, I thirst. John 19, 28. And it teaches here another very important principle. Especially for caregivers. Because here is a caregiver on a cross that can't do anything physically for anybody. But here's a caregiver on the cross. You've got to pay attention to your personal needs. To your own personal needs. If you're taking care of someone and don't take care of yourself, you won't be able to take care of them. You have to take care of other, of yourself as well. I thirst. Now, he had two more things to say. And he's probably after three hours of, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's dry. Early on, they offered him some... Uh, it's really GI beer. They offered him some... Uh, uh, bitter wine mixed with gall. It was, had to be uh, bitter beer face. I mean, it had to be really bad. And he said no. Because it was alcoholic. He had things to do. He said, no, I'm not going to do that now. He said earlier to his disciples, I'm not going to drink the fruit of the vine till I come into the kingdom. Okay. So what happens? He says, I thirst. What they do? They put that branch up there so he could get a little bit of fluid into his mouth because what he just said next what he said next rocked hell it truly did one word in the Greek tetelestai perfect passive indicative of the word teleo over and done Perfect tense says it's completed action. The results go on forever. Passive means that it was done by an outside source, the Father. Indicative says it's a historical fact. It is finished. And I really think they heard that in the depths of hell, in in Sheol torments. I think they heard it when it was spoken because he came to do it. It's another interesting word. In the first century it was used... For payment of a bill that was owed. And it meant paid in full. Now I'm thankful to hear that word. Are you? Because that means every sin. That has ever been poured out. In, that has ever been committed. In the history of the world. Is paid for. I will sing of my redeemer. And his wondrous love for me. It is indeed finished. Now what about this point? What would you put in this particular blank? And I said, I'll redeem the time in service to others. He used every waking breath to serve other people. Every one of them. See, it is finished, yeah. He's, it, he's, his human life is ready to be over. And he spent the whole time in service to other people. And I think that's the principle it teaches. I heard uh, about a couple of Christian roommates going off to a Christian school together and they they uh, they get to the school and after six, eight weeks and they're not living with mom and dad anymore and they're both getting mad at the other one because they think that the other one's not doing their part. I don't know if you've heard that one or not before but it, or seen roommates get upset with each other. Well, you don't clean the... I had a good roommate first semester at Oklahoma State 
uh, interesting roommate second semester, and he always complained about me. But anyway, uh, he was um, Tony Rand. I was he was Tony Randall, and I was Klugman in that relationship, and he always complained about me. But then the two Christian roommates looked at each other and said, isn't this the way it's supposed to be? This is not about doing in order to get. This is doing in order to serve. whole different type of attitude. Redeem the time and service to other people. And then this last saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Here is Jesus in his humanity, just suffered more than anybody could even imagine or anybody else could even suffer, having sins imputed to him. And he is saying, Father, with his arms out into, what? Your hands, I commit my spirit. He just, himself and his humanity, trusted the Father's plan. Now, you want to have a good relationship that goes on? It needs forgiveness. It needs a focus on Christ. It needs a provision for other people as part of what you do as a person, individual, or group. It needs grace in it. As you've received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. It involves sacrifice. Because that's where the, the real joy is found. You don't sacrifice... To draw attention to self. That's selfish. That's human good. That's what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil talked about. Was another kind of good. It's good on the surface. But it doesn't give the glory to God. It brings the glory to self. And therefore it's a problem. Sacrifice for other people. Pay attention to your personal needs along the way. Sometimes you need a break. The Longest Day of Jesus. Max Licato wrote a book on that. Wonderful book. On the longest day of Jesus, one day it's got more miracles recorded on that day than any other day. And he fed the 5,000. He healed people all morning long. He taught. He did all that. And he told his disciples, go on across the Sea of Galilee and I'll catch up with you. He wanted by himself. Why? I need time with the Father. (laughs) Yeah, I need time with the Father. I want time for myself. And the disciples get out, get out there. The storm hits. They're, oh, we're going to die. And he comes walking across the water. I know you know the story. Yeah. Scared the bejeebers out of them. <laughs> when they saw him walking out across the water. <clears throat> he, is, he is so amazing. But what did he need? As a caregiver, a good shepherd... The great shepherd, he said, I need a break to spend with my father. I need that. And so he took a few few hours or, or whatever, and then he went right back to work, didn't he? He said, come on, follow me. The sea stilled. Oh, I, I think Peter tried to get out. Oh, Peter did get out of the boat. That crazy guy got out of the boat. See, you know, everybody laughs at Peter because he started to sink. He's the only one got out of the boat. <laughs> I love the, look at the faith that it demonstrated there. 
Trust the Father's plan in your relationships when you don't see the end from the beginning because none of us can. You don't see how it's going to go. You don't know how it's going to work out. What do you got to do? Daddy's got it in his hands. He's got it in his hands. Let's pray. Father, we are so amazed at who you are and what you have done. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your tests. Father, we thank you for the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ because it proves that everything he said and did was true. Because what it does is show us that all the things, the prophecies that he gave came to pass. Had they not, he would have been just another false prophet. But they did. So we owe our forever eternal allegiance to him. Thank you that we have a God that we can trust. May we trust you all the more as you tarry and the days go by. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.